Good morning and welcome to OSW Daily, where each day we discuss the uh, trending topics related to work uh, with industry experts and thought leaders, and today's no exception. So uh, what are we going to talk about today? Um, well, we're going to talk about cognitive performance, and we have a very special guest who I think is uh, perfect to actually discuss this thing. So if this is your first time coming across the channel. Please, thank you. I hope you find this valuable. Um, I hope you find this useful. And uh, if you have any questions for uh, Andrew, who we're going to chat with uh, during the session, then please do write them in uh, in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching this in. Uh, so who am I? My name is Steve Todd. I'm Global Head of Workplace at NASDAQ, and I'm also the founder of opensourceworkplace.com. Uh, as I said, so thank you for joining us today. And what are we going to talk about today? Let's pull up today's agenda. Today, we're going to talk about leadership model for a virtualized world. What does that look like? Again, cognitive performance, as I mentioned before, and the brain is wired for safety. How does this get impacted in, in, in a world of where vaccine news is just being being released to us? And today, as I said, I mentioned uh, our thought leader is Mr. Andrew Mawson, who is the owner of Advanced Workplace Associates. And uh, I'm really looking forward to digging into this with Andrew. So, Andrew, Welcome to OSW Daily. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, thank you. I'm doing well, thank you. I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me onto your your show for the first time. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no, this is your first time in OSW Daily. We've done many interviews over, you know, over the we last have. the last six months, and uh, it, uh, it it's really good to have you back. And uh, I look forward to digging into you. But Andrew, what should what should the audience know about Mr. Andrew Mawson? Well, I'm I'm a bit of a strange hybrid. The word hybrid seems to be in fashion at the moment, but I'm a strange hybrid uh, beast. Uh, I trained initially as a statistician. I went into the IT and the defense industry, mostly in quality management and change management, logistics, all sorts of stuff. And then eventually stumbled across a thing called intelligent buildings. And uh, after a, you know, a research program around that from within the IT industry, I then you know got involved in setting up AWA and, um, you know, doing all the things that we do today. So most of what we do today, Steve, is, is help organizations and individuals look at the future and try and work out what their work, work arrangements need to be in order to help them do what they need to do and then help them make that shift. So we're sort of, you know, people would describe it as a workplace change management um, consultancy and we, we do stuff all over the world with some really cool companies and particularly now and the world you know that we now inherit as we see it moving forward is the world that we kind of envisaged back in 1991 when we set the business up so it's a fascinating time uh, to be involved in all this stuff so i mean you must have seen a lot of changes in the last 12 months maybe maybe the same mm -hmm. questions but maybe the answers are a little bit different so how, how have you seen that shift and what what sort of things are are people looking at today well, I mean, I think um, I mean I think we were always on uh, a trend towards greater levels of flexibility, mobility. Technology has been reducing uh, in price consistently over a long period of time, and, and certainly in all the studies that we've been doing with various different clients, we've seen uh, you know an increasing number of people wanting a greater level of flexibility. So that trend has been in play for some time, but. I think a lot of the time people were asking for that. They were doing so without necessarily having a real experience of it. Now what we're seeing is, you know, surveys, not just ours, but you know, from many different sources, just reinforcing the point that people are looking for greater levels of flexibility. But at the same time, they do want 
the ability to be together some of the time. So, you know, I think what we're talking about, the only thing to be imposed here is choice to some degree. Um, and it's a question really of, of organizations embracing that idea, I think, and, uh, and using it to help them to be better than they are today. In, in, you know, there are so many different dimensions to what you can squeeze out of the idea of mobility. Uh, it's really a question of looking at each organization and trying to get under the bonnet of their their specific drivers and needs and, and tensions and, and, and seeing how you can use mobility and changes in the way people work as a as a competitive tool. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a fascinating time and just a you know a trend that's been going on, I think. Yeah, and you did mention that people want to come together some of the time, right? And employees are searching for belonging, social connection, right? And especially during this time, as you mentioned, do leaders need to build a culture that promotes community engagement then to allow that social interaction to take place? Well, I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, we did, um, right at the beginning of the, uh, the lockdown period, um, we redid a piece of research we'd done about five years ago, which is called Managing the Agile Workplace. Um, and um, and basically what it did, it would brought forward six factors that make a difference to the performance of knowledge-based communities. But, you know, there are two, a couple of three of those that are particularly um, come under pressure when you're working away, and those are the things that matter a lot. So the, the, the number one factor, you know, whether we're working at home or anywhere else, is social cohesion with knowledge-based communities. And the reason why that is so important is because social cohesion is one of the factors that gives rise to um, what we call psychological safety. The ability for people to feel comfortable in their boots, to be able to share, to be able to challenge each other without feeling bruised. You know, it's the kind of lubricant, if you like, to help mm -hmm. organizations and people get on and make things happen and, and, and get the most out of their collective knowledge. And, um, and of course, when we're working in the office, notionally, the theory is, the romantic theory was that, in fact, we, it's very good, you know, we could get this very easily. I mean, the truth is that I think something else was going on. If you ask, actually ask how many people, people knew in the workplace, it's actually not that many and knew, knew well. So, but now that we're working away, you know, it comes under more stress because we're not seeing each other. We, we're not picking up quite as many signals about each other. Um, and, um, you know, and, and you can you can see very clearly there are some leaders that are really, you know, doing well in this whole period. You know, the kind of leaders that were very socially connected to their people. They knew them quite well. They stimulated greater levels of openness and creativity. And there were other managers and leaders, you know, who are very much, uh, um, looking down and focused on their bit and not so much worrying about other people. And I think the, um, and the research basically reinforces this, you know, they, we're looking in order to operate effectively in a virtualized model or a hybrid virtualized model, you know, we need leaders to be much more um, transformative in their approach to, to leadership and not so much supervisory. And that, and that you, you know, we're seeing that now, you know, in the experiences people are, are feeling day to day. And uh, so what you've got to do really is you've got to get your, your best leader and you've got to say, well, what is it about that leader that makes him the best or her the best? And how can we, how can we take every leader and every manager in our organization and teach them how to be as good as, as that? And so for some people have come naturally, 
for other people it's going to require a bit of work but you know it's the only way it's going to it's going to really work so does, yeah some interesting things does that best leader is that best leader different do you think in the virtual world as it is to the real world no i don't think so steve uh i i think um you know i think people watching and listening would probably recognize there were certain people around them certain leaders and managers who were particularly good they were good in the old world they were good in the new world but the people who weren't so good in the old world will find it more difficult in the new world because you know they could kind of get away with stuff because people came in and stuff happened but i don't think you get away with it in the new world and of course as time has moved on um you know, through this pandemic, um, the, the difference between the good leader and the not so good leader will become, you know, much more obvious, I think. Mm, mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's an skilling for everybody, I think. That's interesting. That's interesting. And then your last point here on this slide, social cohesion and trust are vital mm. ingredients that you just mentioned, like creative mm. to create a productive workforce. Yeah. In the coming months, there's a cocktail of circumstances that will put this under pressure. What What's the yeah. cocktail of circumstances you're referencing? Well, I mean, there are, you know, we, we can see already this idea of um, the sort of people are talking about the hybrid model. Now, uh, for me, this is, um, this is, this is potentially a problem because I don't think we want a hybrid model. And that sounds a bit strange, I think. But, but if you bear with me for a second, the notion that we have some people in the office and they work in a certain way and they are all connected and they're socially connected. And the rest of us are, you know, in some way, um, you know, dispersed and not connected is not a world that we want. You know, we, we, we want one world and we want one culture and we want one set of practices and processes, and behaviors and an infrastructure and technology. But then when we have all that and everybody's on the same playing field, we can then choose to work together physically when we need to, and we can get value from that. And so that's that's one of the things, you know, this idea that we've got the us and them thing, which we just absolutely want to get rid of. And then we've got people maybe who have been furloughed. Um, you know, they've been paid by the government to, to sit at home while the other guys and girls have been working really hard during this period. And at some point they're going to come back in to the office, uh, in, into the organization, and they're going to be feeling a bit insecure because they were the people who were, were kind of let go a bit. And the others will be feeling a little bit uncomfortable because they've been, uh, as far as I can see it, the other people have been having a jolly good holiday on the government for, for a little while. Uh, and then you add in this sort of hybrid thing. And, you know, all these things kind of have a potential to create division, if you like. And, um, uh, and, and I think, you know, for me, um, what leaders now need to do is recognize that that is the world that they're sort of heading towards. And if they aren't very good at, you know, creating this kind of communal feeling and friendship, trust and all the rest of it, they've got to work at it and they've got to think hard about it. So those, those are the sort of things that I think, you know, become divisive. So, so I mean, the, the point that you just, it's just stuck with me was the fact that hybrid you don't believe is going to work in the long term. So do you think organizations have to decide we're going to be office first or we're going to be virtual first? And that's basically how their processes, how they have to operate going forward? Uh, my, my sense is that, that all organizations at some point are going to have to 
get their heads around the idea of creating infrastructure, culture, behaviours and everything that allow their people to work uh, anywhere. It's not a question of home or office, but work in the same way anywhere. Uh, and if you get to that point, I think, you you know, you're on the way to what we'll call virtualizing your enterprise. You know, and, and by that, I don't mean just the location, but, you know, things like how do we bring new people into an organization uh, that is wherever he's not in the same physical space all the time? You know, how do we enhance and generate and create high levels of competence very quickly? How do we connect people into new networks? Um, you know, how do we how do we recruit in this new world so that we can take advantage of recruiting people who want to work live in other places or we might choose from other places? So it's not from this is this isn't really just about you know working in the home or working in the office. This is about actually creating an infrastructure, culture, practices, processes that enable us all to work anywhere. Because when we get to that point. It seems to me we've gone beyond this kind of us and them thing, mm. and we've actually created an organisation that is both, you know, solid, capable of rapid change, uh, and also on top of that, you know, obviously can can recruit and retain the best talent from wherever it is. Um, mm. So, you know, it's it, it's a, it, I think it's a win-win-win for everybody, but you have to kind of see that end-state vision, um, and then orchestrate everything to kind of get there i think no that's interesting really interesting so i mean uh, we talked about you know uh, many aspects there but if you think about that social cohesion mm. you think about that sense of belonging how does that impact performance well um it, at the individual level i mean i think you know there, there's two different bits to this and it's interesting to, to to think about them i mean the there's the individual it's a bit like you know we, i know you and i have talked about soccer for quite a bit i mean it's about the individual, how do we get the best out of the individual? How do we get them to do the right things that enable them to be the best they can be? But then, you know, in the world of knowledge work, no, you know, no man's an island. So, you know, how do we get the most out of collections of individuals and individual brains? And the social cohesion component, I think, um, works in two ways. One is it's quite clear that people who work with other people who they get on with and they're not prickly with, and they're not worried about, <clears throat> consume less cognitive bandwidth than people mm. who, you know, you know for yourself. I mean, if you're around people you're worried about, or you, you're constantly getting poked by, or they're powerful, and they have some influence on your future, then, you know, you're potentially a little bit more guarded, a little bit more careful, you're thinking much more about how you handle what you say, you're not, you're not free, you're not, you're not free to, to speak openly. So it cons it consumes that, but but the other part of it, which is I mentioned before, is as a collective, we want to create the conditions under which people are generous with their knowledge, where they're helping each other out, where they're kind of finishing each other's sentences, where you know, and this isn't just within a team, but teams of teams. You know, my kind of my perfect view of the world is that you have teams who are you know socially connected and comfortable with each other, just as you do, you know, individuals. And, and if you get to that point, you know, you're allowing the free flow of knowledge and information and you're, you're creating the conditions under which creativity is possible because people feel that they can challenge each other constructively and sensitively to come forward with new ideas, new innovations in a way that perhaps if they were 
not socially cohesive, they, you know, they simply wouldn't be able to do that. They would be mm. guard. I mean, I, you know, I see it in some of the organizations we work with. People are worried to say the truth. They're worried to, to expose the elephant in the room. You know, and, it, and it's a constraining factor, and, it's, uh, and it certainly doesn't help with uh, creativity and, uh, and, you know, and people feeling they can, they can get on. So that, that's, that's how, you know, mm. this sort of social cohesion plays. Yeah, and, and and you touched on performance, and one of the things that I really want to dig in with you is cognitive performance. So, why should organisations care about cognitive <laughs> performance? Well, you know, in the end, organisations for me are the the collect the collection, the aggregation of brain power that they have on the on the payroll. It doesn't sit on the balance sheet, interestingly. Um, but if you think about it, it's a you know, it's um, an organization is just, you know, many hundreds, many thousands of people who um, come to work each day to do some stuff. And basically, you're buying brains and you're buying energy. And so if you're buying brains, then it seems to me you want every brain to be on top of top performance. And, um, you know, if you if you get that, you know, you're getting the maximum amount of the brain power that you're you're hiring. And so companies should be interested in that, because in the end of the day, that's what you're buying. You're buying energy and brains. And so, yeah, you imagine it. You know, think about going somewhere like the Albert Hall or something, and giving everybody a torch. And um, you know, you want to, uh, you know, you've got some torches that are, are not very well lit. Um, some of them are very strong. You know, they've got very strong batteries. Some of them are pointing over here. Some of them are pointing over there. What you do, you want is you want all of those all those torches to be on full strength all the time and you want them pointed at the things that you you want you know you want to do you get real real focus and energy on them so this is why i think cognitive and cognitive performance is so important because you know it's you're, you're buying the brain you, you've got to get the most out of each brain really and each community and so this is why these this interplay between the individual brain and the collective brain is so important, I think. As, uh, as, yeah. You know. and, and I went through some of the, the factors there that you note. And the one that sort of stuck out to me was um, was the negative on task interruption. Mm. And, mm -hmm. you know, many of the conversations I'm having these days where I'm asking people, are you more productive at home? Or are you more productive in the office? And those that say at home, one of the key reasons that they think they're more productive and feel they're more productive at home is because there's less task interruption. Mm. And that, and that's entirely right. And if, of course, in the um, you know the chart that you just you you know you, you put up there, um, we you know the research we've done around this indicates that you know you look at the, the world in two ways around cognitive performance. One is you want to get people to do the right things so that their brains are in the best shape they can be. So hydration, nutrition, sleep, exercise all matter hugely. But then on the other side of the coin, you know, you want to create the conditions under which the brain can then focus so that it doesn't have to, you know, filter out, trade out things uh, in its um, in, in its vision. And um, what I think we established through our research was that um, uh, visual and audible distractions, you know, do uh, consume cognitive bandwidth. And, um, and as a consequence of that, really, um, you can start to see 
exactly why people are responding to these surveys in the way that they are doing about working at home because in a, in a lot of cases not not all cases but a lot of cases people are able to focus we're almost giving them their own office to be mm -hmm. perfectly honest um in a way that they can't back in the office and 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 it's becoming obvious i think the other thing that's interesting about this time is this this need and this this ability uh, and the link between their perceived personal productivity and distraction has become much more um visible than to, to most people than it had than it was before so you know I, so, so that's that's really the at the heart of it i think steve you know mm. people are able to focus now in a way that they weren't now interestingly we've been doing quite a lot of work with um you know a very big law firm and uh we we have partners saying well that's all very well but that's only part of the job and by the way there was value in having interruptions because particularly we were we as partners were helping to guide these people who were possibly going off in the wrong direction and all this sort of business so so you, you know you you hear different different sides of this story from from different people but i think you know there's no doubt in the world of knowledge work um you know a, a large proportion of the time people are working they are doing stuff which is a which is requiring focus they're working on their own doing something developing something thinking something through developing an idea or something which then they share with colleagues who then add more value and those so that you've got this kind of this this kind of combination between the individual's performance and the individual's work and then the the team and so it's you know it's vital that both components of this are um are dealt with but i think that's that's certainly the the you know the background to that um that whole thing yeah and it's interesting you you went the other way as well because what well, the other thing i'm hearing yes the the task interruption is one of the things that really impacts productivity but one of the social yeah. interaction elements that people love about the office is the fact that they can yeah. interrupt they can tap somebody in the shoulder they can look over yeah. someone else's shoulder and, and get an answer instantly so it kind of is a tough thing a tough thing to balance one thing i want yeah. to I just ask you about you, you note speech as a negative there what do you mean yeah. by that well, um, speech, uh, really, it's anything that carries value. So um, speech in particular is very distracting because um, particularly speech, which if somebody's talking about something that is um, uh, relevant to you, you will tend to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, if it's something, if it's just a bit of background music, which is really not very taxing and it's just in the wash, it doesn't have so much impact, but if it's something that, you know, there's a bang or there's some noise that is, um, uh, you know, related to something you like or know about or something, your brain, you know, tunes into it. And, and what we know is that when you've been distracted, um, you know, particularly when you've been in a, in, a, in a state of deep concentration, it takes it takes some more time to get back into the same state of concentration. And so you know, so so that's that's how that's that's what we meant by um, 
Uh, by 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 noise and uh, yeah, speech. no, it's it, it's funny. It's interesting that you're talking about that. I'm thinking about a lorry backing up. I don't know why. And I'm sure. I wonder how many other people actually listen to you going. That, that's a lorry backing up. I'm sure of it is. You know what I mean? Just just well, right you know, the timing. <laughs> the interesting thing about that, Steve, is I can't really hear it as well as you can because this microphone is, is magnifying the sound, and you're you're getting a a worse experience than i am so it's oh, not really i'm listening to you andrew how could i possibly get a worse experience <laughs> come on come on um so one of the things that we did we did talk about was um you know you mentioned the brains being wired for safety right and yeah, yeah. uh yeah. you know as we bring us up and we we look at okay our brains being wired for safety the, the, there's lots of news at the moment about vaccine and the effectiveness yeah. and it's, it's it's fantastic news yeah. what impact do you think that's going to have in people's perception of their safety you know we're at home we feel safe we're yeah. maybe reluctant to leave our home go back to the office how do you think this is going to play in that safety factor well i think it should um, it should have a positive impact at some point doesn't it? i mean you know i think when we you know when in the old world, you know, safety, both social and physical safety, was associated with doing all the things we did before, going to the office, doing all the things we did. It was, <clears throat> it was safe, we got some money for it. it, it gave us some status in the world. Then we rapidly moved to, you know, the, the idea that the home was going to be the safe place. But of course, for some people, um, you know, depending on age and, and health, the risk of, um, mortality from the coronavirus is actually very, very low indeed. And you can sort of see the behavior of different tranches of our populations, um, you know, operating very different ways. But for people who are perhaps over 55, 60 or whatever, uh, who have been reluctant to, to go out, um, they should now feel a little more comfortable. But I suspect until they've actually had a vaccine, they will still feel like, you know, you know, averse to taking a risk if they can possibly get away with it. But, you know, that, that situation will change. But I think one of the things that has happened though through this period, particularly is by the time we finish with this, a lot of people will have been working at home probably for a, a year or so, is that they will have developed new rituals and new patterns and new ways of thinking um, and new arrangements. And so, you know, this idea that we're all suddenly going to spring back to the old model of working, um, is I think for most people not going to be true. I mean, mm. for sure, what we're in at the moment is a ex very extreme situation, and I know, and I'm probably one of them, who you know, people who want to have more social interaction. But uh, I think the genie's out of the bottle, really. I, I don't think we're going to go back to a, a world that is exactly like the one we left um, mm. a year ago. Yeah, so and as, as we just wrap up here, Andrew, um, what, what's the number one question you think leaders need to be asking themselves today? Oh. <laughs> um, I think leaders need to be asking themselves what they're trying to achieve, Steve, actually. I think very often, you know, in life and in business, we just get on and keep turning the handle day in, day out, and doing what is apparently required of us. I think now is a moment where people need to reflect and to think about, what is it we're trying to do in our business? What are we trying to achieve? And actually, how can we use what we've learned through this whole um, saga? And how can we use this idea of virtuality, you know, to, to make our businesses better, to give our people a better, a better arrangement, um, and, to, and to do a better job for society, I think. 
Um, those, those are the things I think leaders should be thinking about right now. No, that's great, Andrew. That's great. As, as I said, as we wrap it up, is there anything um, you want to sort of finish up on before we wrap up? Well, the only thing I would um, <clears throat> just just to, you know, we've been talking a lot about cognitive performance, cognitive energy. I mean, we, we're just about to embark upon another uh, study which is focused on the whole subject of cognitive capacity, which mm -hmm. I think is actually one of the most important um, topics uh, for the world going forward because. You know, as I say, I think as we head into the world of knowledge work, the only brain, the only the only tool in town is your brain, really. And um, and at the moment, I think we're very unsophisticated in how we use brain power and nurture brain power and, and do that. So if anybody's interested in um, getting involved in in that study, uh, whilst the lorry in the background is um, dumping its cement load, uh, that would be fantastic <laughs> to hear. From you. That's 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 great. That's great. Um, so, Andrew, thank you. Uh, is where, where can people find you today? So, if if anybody wants to contact me personally, I'm on a, a Mawson at advanced-workplace.com. That's probably the best uh, route to go. Or, or come to our website, advanced-workplace.com, and just just uh, find the info at bit contact and and, and contact me through there. That's great. That's great. Andrew, thank you very much for your time. And folks, there'll be links to uh, everything we've talked about today uh, in, the, in, this, in the comment section below. So uh, thank you, Andrew, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Mate. Take care.